0: Welcome to Coffee with Kupke, a production of St. Paul Inside the Walls. Here on Coffee with Kupke, we grab a cup of coffee, at least we're claiming this is coffee. We sit with Monsignor Raymond Kupke, the pastor of St. Anthony's and Hawthorne, professor at Immaculate Conception Seminary, diocesan archivist. We sit with Monsignor Kupke to delve into the history of Catholicism in the Diocese of Patterson. My name is Father Paul Manning. I am the vicar for evangelization for the Diocese of Patterson. So grab your cup of coffee and let's jump right in. I'm going to take a sip. We are uh, really uh, thoroughly looking at this, this period of uh, the church's uh, uh, growth in, in the uh, 19th century. I, so there's just two... Other things that I wanted to ask you about. The first is this little interesting paragraph, couple of sentences about forgotten Germans in Mackupin. So, can you say a little bit about that German
1: community? Yeah, the uh, the early mostly German iron mining community up in West Milford, Mackupin. Uh, They remain in place right down to the present day. I mean, there are a number of very proud descendants of those families still active. You and I know one of them, oddly enough. Um, Carl Grau is is a direct lineal descendant of one of those early families. Interesting. Um, After Father Farmer dies, and this is why they are the oldest Catholic church in New Jersey, because they, they never lose their identity. They keep on getting together on Sunday, praying the rosary. They connect ultimately with priests in the city who come up, uh, routinely and visit them. And then ultimately, when the Franciscans arrive in Butler, mm. they begin to, you know, get regular weekend assistance. But they, they build a church up there as early as 1829. Huh. So they're very much on the map, and they continue to be on the map.
0: But are they uh, preserving the faith without
1: uh, priestly support for a while, with only sporadic priestly support? I mean, basically, farmer only visited them twice a year. Okay. And so they continue to keep things going. They were they're remarkable. Yes. My favorite um, thing about them is that uh, they lost contact about where they came from in Germany. Right. And there are a number of semi-professional family genealogists among that crowd. Right. Who for years were trying to trace them back to right. Germany but they could never make the leap across and they found the ocean it through your book. But my book as yeah. a, a a a German historian who was doing research on the collapse of the iron industry in Germany in the 18th century. Right. Uh, somebody knew about my book and said, you know, there are German guys in right, right." And so...
0: Yeah, that was, if you missed it, that was episode two, I think, when, when yeah. we talked
1: about that. So, so basically... Maybe the first episode.
0: I can't remember. They came from the yeah. Saarland region right. of Germany. Right. Um, at the very end of uh, that chapter, um, you have a... A pen and ink drawing. Who did the pen and ink drawings for Living Stones? A art student at
1: Seton Hall, Matt Hamilton.
0: And you happened to know him
1: and asked him to? Uh, I knew the art professor at Seton Hall, Edwin Havis okay. from Persephone, and he put me in contact with With Matt, Matt did you see? Yeah. yeah. So
0: there's a, a picture of Julia C. C. Holster, Holster. right? teaching catechism, I believe. Yeah. In what community was she?
1: This would be West Milford.
0: Okay. And so um, we have this image of a, a, a lay woman catechist from the early 19th century. Uh, even, even, I think we tend to think of lay leadership as something that developed after Vatican II, but so much of, of the church and the life of the church was carried on by lay people in the in the the early part of the,
1: sure because the the priests were so few and far between, that they were almost like circuit riders. Yes, so the the stable leadership would be lay people. Yes, um, and they're an interesting group of characters. We could do a whole. We don't know great depth of detail about them, but the little vignettes, um, for example, St. Anthony's and Butler which goes back to the 1870s, late 1860s. Basically, one of the women in the community that ran a tavern kept a jar on the bar for donations to building a Catholic church. It was that kind of... uh, But the earliest one, uh, oddly enough, um, and again... We rely on farmers' baptismal registers for so much information. But.
0: Oh, the gentleman who baptized. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 If, if I know this is putting you on the spot, and if it takes him too long to answer this, we can edit out the long pause. But um, if you had to name uh, three to five most influential lay women, lay women in the diocese. Not nuns. No. Does anybody come to mind three to five? And maybe we 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 can talk about them now or do it in another episode. Well, Julia
1: Seaholster.
0: Julia in in, in this
1: early colonial period, right? Um, Jane Wall in Patterson in the late eighteen hundreds. Wall Street in Patterson is named after her, and uh, her family is a major player in the development of Saint Teresa's and Patterson. Oh. In Madison, you know, several of the French women Mm. are very important in keeping those families together, but also in directing family fortunes to St. Vincent's. Okay. Uh, Wow. Yes. So, yeah, there there are a number. of Any more recent uh, um, towering figures? Callie Barrett. I I know the name. At St. Paul's in Clifton. The first female trustee, parish trustee in... New Jersey. What year would that have been? This would be the 1970s, 60s. Okay. Uh, she was appointed by Monsignor Rodimer when he was pastor. The first woman. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So yeah, there are a number of
0: So maybe we'll do uh, down the road we'll do an episode um, on, on the, the towering lay men yeah. and women, women and men. Yeah,
1: Pat Dolan and Ogdensburg who single-handedly organized CCD Huh. Uh, up in Sussex County, I had, you know, people going out and bringing kids in on, on the other. Yeah. There are a lot of, lot of heroines. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, we want to talk uh, uh, about the cathedral in Patterson, right? Well, is we want to a-
1: really talk about St. John's. First. It's not yet a cathedral. Okay.
0: So tell us about St. John's.
1: Well, Patterson was developed right after the revolution as the first planned industrial city in the united states they they saw the uh, hydroelectric power of the great falls in patterson and so alexander hamilton wanted to develop that you know he brought washington there one day Just to look to at picnic the... and look at the falls and okay. say we we could do something with this yeah so patterson is is unlike the other cities of the northeast like philadelphia or Boston, New York, that had developed because of their harbor, basically. uh, You know, Patterson was planned. And uh, the crazy story is that the original street plan for Patterson, uh, they could not actually use it because there wasn't enough of a broad span between the mountain and the river. So they shelled it. And used it later. It's the street plan for Washington D.C. Oh wow! That crazy pattern of circles yeah, and diagonals. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Who yeah that it, was
0: who's the designer?
1: Um, I think. Um,
0: I feel like I should know the name. The guy
1: who, who did D.C. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Somebody out there
0: is going to know. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, so Patterson has a Catholic population almost. Immediately as it's formed. Yeah. Can
0: I interject here and say, I'm ashamed to say that I had not seen the Great Falls until rather recently. Uh, Monsignor Gino Silva and I went and took a little field trip to to see the Great Falls. They're not easy to see in Patterson. We have, a, they're obstructed. Uh, in, in you, d- you did
1: not see the episode of, of The Sopranos. I do not. All right.
0: <laughs> Did the Great Falls figure in the Sopranos? Yes, they throw one of the guys
1: over the bridge. Oh,
0: man. The... Wow. That's a, it must have been a green screen they, they used or something. Anyway, um, so I interrupted. We were, we were moving to the Catholic population in Patterson.
1: So there were some circuit-riding priests that were saying Mass in Patterson uh, in the 18-teens uh, in people's houses. But finally, by 1820, it had grown enough that the Bishop of New York sent a full-time priest to Patterson. And this this is uh, the first priest to be assigned to New Jersey on a full-time basis. So this would be... uh
0: one reason, a reason why some might argue that, that Patterson St. John's is, is the yeah.
1: oldest parish in the state. Yeah. If if by parish you mean a place where the resident pastor, St. John's is the Gets oldest, the, the title. There yeah. was already a church in Newark the day the year before, but they had no permanent priest. But uh, the bishop of, of of New York sent uh, Richard Bolger. one of oh, his, oh, we talked about him. one of his yeah. newly ordained priests yeah. to start St. John's. John's. Yeah, and so uh, uh, today, today there's a wonderful Peruvian restaurant on the corner, yes, yeah, where St. John's uh, originally started downtown. Right. So that first church lasts how long? Maybe a decade. You know, it's just a, a little wooden structure. Little wooden structure, and then in 1833. On Oliver Street, they build a new stone church, which is still standing today. Uh, if you stand on the steps of the current cathedral. Yes. And look past the Pasay County Jail across the yes. street, you can see the outline of the second St. John's, basically the Entre-New building. Is it a brick, a brick stone? F- Okay, I was looking at that the other day, yeah. wondering what well, that's it was. the that's the back end of the second okay. St. Johns, and what is the entreneu? The entreneu became after the current St. Johns was constructed in the 1870s. The entreneu became like the parish hall. Oh, that
0: was the, the and, and part church? and
1: part of the school and and a whole bunch of things. Hello, this is Bishop Kevin Sweeney of the Diocese of Patterson, and I have a new podcast called Beyond the Beacon. One of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to interview Catholics of different ages and backgrounds and learn what inspires them to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Join me on Thursdays for Beyond the Beacon, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or watch it on my YouTube channel. Click the link in the description to learn more. Thank you, and God bless you.
0: Yeah, so I I actually think um, as uh, uh, Monsignor Silva and his staff opened up the charter school in Patterson, I think Oliver Street is a part of the yes, long term sure. plan. We
1: still own that that property. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Um, so that that's a, a substantial building. Substantial building, but that only survives as the parish church for like twenty five years. Uh, when when when. Father McNulty comes, William McNulty. Um, and they need a bigger church. It's too small, and he does not like it <laughs> because it's on a side street. <laughs> oh, he wants it on the main street. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, this population growth, is this uh, uh, um, immigrants uh, the immigrants from where?
1: Mostly Ireland, but there are some from other places as well. One of the main contributors, this is... You know, deja vu all over again, but uh, one of the principal contributors to the construction of the second St. John's is a Spanish family, Joaquin Felix. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they were there in the city. From Spain. From Spain, yes. So there's been a Latino presence in St. John's very, very
0: early. Wow, interesting. And then
1: by 1859, uh, there are enough Germans in Patterson that, the second church in the city, Saint Boniface. Bonaventures.
0: Oh, no, Bonif- Boniface, Boniface! Sorry, yeah. Which
1: is basically now um, uh, the Father English Center. Oh, that yeah. develops uh, very early. Yeah, yeah. that that uh, in one of the
0: next episodes, I'm going to ask you about this renewed German connection. Yeah. So. Um, Let's, anything else that you want to say about the cathedral? We, we, we will talk about that at length when we get to Dean McNulty, but anything else about this
1: St. John's? Just that it, it grew very quickly, you know, and had a, had a succession of pastors, uh, some very, very quickly, some a couple of years. Um, the, the priest situation uh, was very fluid. You know, guys were coming from Europe. Um, sometimes they came with great credentials sometimes they came because they didn't know what to do with them in Europe Yes. You know, or they were disgruntled with their superiors in Europe and they would just turn up over here and sometimes they were useful for a while I, th- I think one of St. John's early pastors, like, left to go to the California gold rush. Um, you know, you, you never knew what you All were getting. on the gold. Yeah, e- exactly. Um, a great
0: vocation for a priest.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of back and forth, and yeah. this will this will plague the the diocese right through the whole 19th century.
0: Well, I, I was thinking as you were speaking that we are a presbyterate made-up yeah, in, in large measure of uh, immigrant priests who have decided to minister uh, here in our diocese. So, Teddy, it's yeah. Hispanic. It hasn't changed much. And uh, Polish priests who are ministering in our diocese. But is that, uh, for many, when I was young, there were a lot of Irish guys.
1: Yeah. There's always been a large... Our, our diocese has never produced enough native vocations to really... Manage on its yeah. own. Okay. To give you an idea, when uh, when uh, the bishop sends the first priest to St. John's, the diocese of New York at that point was the whole state of New York and the northern half of New Jersey, and he had eight priests. Oh my! Covering this whole territory. Wow. You know, so in 1821, in the one of the earliest editions of the Catholic Directory, it shows there are like two priests in Manhattan. One in Albany, one in Buffalo, one in Schenectady, one who is listed as traveling up and down the Hudson River, visiting all those little villages, and then one in Patterson, New Jersey. Now you, I'm going. I'm fond of pointing out to Bishop Sweeney that Long Island yes. did not have a resident priest until the following year, right? Right. When the first church, first priest in. Long Island was assigned to the church where he was ultimately ordained a yes. priest, St. James yeah. in Brooklyn. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to digress. Uh, I've heard you say that the, the, our contemporary experience of uh, many, many priests, you know, ministering uh, 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 permanently in small communities is a relatively Research. new yeah. phenomenon yeah. in church history. Maybe say a word about that.
1: Well, you know, the uh, the boom era of the 1940s and 50s produced an enormous number of priests. So that suddenly became the norm, to have that many. But in earlier years, you know, it was much, much more difficult. And yes. Much tighter. Um, New England, early enough, some of our earliest priests in the Patterson Diocese, like Frank Murphy and uh, the Wall Brothers, were born in Massachusetts. And their diocese, the Springfield Diocese, which then was the western half of Massachusetts, uh, they were producing so many vocations that they were were ordaining people and sending them home to live until an opening came up in a rectory. So a number of guys... Looked at that, time. you know, yeah. it, when they were in the seminary and said, let me go somewhere where I'm, I can at least work.
0: And they came to and Patterson. they came to Patterson. So we have uh, um, uh, international immigrants, we have New England. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. There's
1: always been, you know, the immigrants that have come down and found uh, Patterson to be a fruitful place too. Yeah. So um, we
0: talked about uh, Bishop Bailey becoming the the first Bishop of the Diocese of, of Newark, Newark, which is now the whole state, the whole of, New state of New Jersey,
1: right. and
0: um, one one thing that I thought was remarkable about him was that he decided that he wanted a seminary.
1: Yeah, and then a, and then is a school too. Well, basically, you know, there are three things that Bailey, three major things that Bailey contributed. He wanted a college. He wanted a seminary. And he wanted nuns, so in the first years of his administration, uh, he found Seton Hall at Madison originally. Right, right down the road. Right down the road from where we are, and uh, out of that, by the time four years later, the first students in his school one of the one of the original students is from Madison, and uh, the first of is those this a, a school for boys or a school, a school for, for girls. Okay. Um, and it's called Seton. Seton
0: Hall College. And this is uh, college as we know it, or is it high school, or is
1: it um, seminary? It, it, it's funny. Uh, historians at Seton Hall would say that basically what we would call today Seton Hall Prep oh, is okay. the only thing that was present in Madison. Yes. be Based on what they were teaching, what we know of their curriculum. But then, within four years, uh, the seminary, Immaculate Conception Seminary, dates their f- founding to 1860, because by 1860, it was clear from their early catalogs that they were teaching theology. Okay. So Now, uh,
0: the, the uh, definition, the f- formal proclamation of the Immaculate Conception was what year? <laughs> 18-
1: 1856.
0: I yeah, mean. so was the seminary originally named? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably around that same time? Yeah, yeah. yes, but, yeah.
1: but all, you know, muddled together in a way that— It's hard to— Yeah, yeah. Like, the president of the university did not stop being president of the PrEP— until it moved off of the campus in the 1980s. Okay, wow. So they so were, they were still, connected. Like, yeah. If you look at the Seton Hall yearbooks for the 1920s, they are eight-year yearbooks, freshman year of high school through senior year of college. Okay, wow. So there, there's a, an integral development there that involves all three aspects at the same time.
0: Yeah, so, so next time, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Bishop Bailey's um, promotion of education and recruitment of religious women and a number of other things. Yeah,
1: yeah Bailey, Bailey um, even though he had to move Seton Hall to South Orange because it was too far out, and he wanted it to be closer to the centers of population, but he always had a fondness for, for coming area. up here. And, you know, he mentions all the time coming up by sleigh over South Orange Mountain to visit... That's uh, in Winters for yeah. winter. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's leave it there. I want all of you who are listening or watching to make sure that you keep an eye out or an ear out for the next episode of Coffee with Kupke in order to stay on top of new releases... Make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you are on YouTube, please do drop a like and hit the bell for notifications. While you're at it, make sure to check out the other shows produced by the diocese. Those shows are Beyond the Beacon, hosted by Bishop Kevin Sweeney and Jay Agnish, our Director of Communications, and the Paul Street Journal hosted by Brian Hansberger and Freddie Garcia. I want to give a special thanks to Joe Genexi, our sound and visual engineer, Caitlin Ferrari, who's involved in pre and post-production, and Freddie Garcia, who's helping out with this podcast in addition to doing his own. With all that said, I just want to thank you for joining us in uh, Coffee with Kupke. Keep making Catholic history in the Diocese of Patterson.